Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Let me say welcome to those of you who are watching on Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room, stop crying now, ladies, because we're going to move on to something different. Uh, we're starting a new series today called Heaven and Hell, and I've got two objectives uh, today. If you are someone who is not 100% confident, 100% confident that you are going to heaven when you die, then this message is for you. Or if you are somebody who would say, if some stranger comes up to me on the street and asks me how they can get to heaven, I wouldn't know exactly what to say or what order to say it in or, or what words to use. If that's you, my invitation is pay attention because what I'm going to try to do today is give you some simple, you don't got to learn it all, you don't got to memorize it all, but I'm going to try to give you some simple, repeatable things that you can say when somebody asks you, how do I get to heaven? If you want to take some notes or something, you can do that. So today, the next few sermons we're going to, in this series, we're going to talk about what is heaven, what is hell, what does the Bible tell us about those places, and that'll, that'll be, uh, some of it will be educational, um, and it'll be helpful for us to learn that. But here in the beginning, we're going to learn, how do I get there? Like, what gets me through the gates to heaven? It's really the most important question of all. I was going to title this sermon, All Moms Go to Heaven, because it's Mother's Day. But then I realized that's not theologically correct. And so I'm not preaching that. Also, it kind of sounds like I'm calling moms dogs, and I'm not. I don't want to do that. So I originally thought I was going to start this message by giving a quick explanation about why I think heaven is real. But then I figured something out and I realized I don't actually need to do that. You all believe heaven is real. In fact, just about everybody believes heaven is real. In America, 80% of Americans believe in an afterlife, or more specifically, 80% of Christians believe in heaven. Now, if you ask, do you believe in hell? The number goes down a little bit, but 80%. 80% of Americans don't agree on anything. Yeah, we all agree. Heaven is real. So I don't feel like I need to dedicate a whole sermon telling a bunch of people who are in church why we believe heaven is real. It, it's kind of commonly accepted. So you would assume then, if most people believe that heaven is real, then there would be a debate on every street corner about how to get there, right? You would assume that everybody, everybody is debating which theology is correct or which method is correct. Yeah, we don't see that. And the public square in, in everyday life, on the news and at work, you don't hear those conversations. Why? Like, don't we think it's kind of important? Literally, your eternity is at stake. 
Heaven and hell is at stake, yet most people are content to just say, eh, I'll take what, what comes to me. I'll just, whatever happens, happens. How ignorant. I have a plan. You should at least have some ideas, right? And this is where most people start this conversation. Well, are you a good person? That's, that's where not just most Americans, that's where most of the world starts this conversation, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. And to that question, almost everybody says, yes, or they say, I think so, or I'm trying, right? That's what almost everybody would say. So why is that? Well, normally what happens is when we think about if I'm good or not, we think about the worst person that we can think of, maybe in politics or some villain on a movie or somebody who did something bad to us. And we are like, compared to that person, I am a good person. So we just kind of, if, if I can compare myself against the worst possible human being, then I can feel a little bit better about myself. But my question is, what ratio of good to bad works gets someone into heaven? Like, does it need to be 90% good and then Ten, I can get away with 10% bad? Or is it really easy? Is it just 50-50? I got to do half as many good things as I do bad things. Or is there a sliding scale? It's like, well, this bad action requires like 20 good actions to get rid of it. Or can I pay for it? Can I be like, I'll donate $20 to the church to cover up that lie, and you got to pay a million dollars to the church to cover up murder? What's, how do we decide the Catholic Church has decided. They kind of just made something up. They're like, well, say 10 Hail Marys and you can be forgiven of lying. I don't know where they got that. It's just kind of made up. But that's what they came up with. That was just kind of what they did. Lying, lying 10 Hail Marys, uh, you stole something, 25, whatever. Move on. And then the question becomes, and who decides what's good and bad? On the surface, it seems easy. We just say, well, the Bible or logic or general consensus. But when you actually get down to it, that doesn't work. In fact, the church can't even agree on what is right and wrong. And we use the same Bible. Some churches say something is bad and other churches say it's okay. What about the old popes who used to say something is wrong and now the new popes say it's okay? Who do we believe? How do we, what about things that used to be bad, but now they're good? What about things like sexism and slavery and unjust wars and divorce? Things that have just been a moving target. Like at some point in history, we say it's bad. And at some point we'd say, like, who gets to decide? And then it gets really hard. When do we start counting? Right? When do my bad actions start counting against me? I'm about to turn 40. I'm really hoping we start counting at 40. That would be convenient for me. But then at 40, I'm going to say, I hope it's 41. I don't know. Because we just kind of move the target based on where we are in life, right? This is what naturally humans would do. And then if I do one too many bad things, let's say whatever that threshold is, I cross over that threshold by one sin. 
is God really gonna keep me out of heaven because of one sin? Like what kind of evil God? Well, if you draw a line somewhere, somebody is gonna go just one sin over that line. What, how, how do we figure all this out? Well, I think the Bible's pretty clear on it. The apostle Paul said, no one is good. If God's plan is to give heaven to good people and hell to bad people, then God's kind of dumb because he said nobody's good. So he made heaven pointlessly because nobody's going to get there. According to Paul, nobody is getting into heaven because nobody is good. Nobody passes the good people, bad people test. A few verses later, Paul says this, everyone has sinned. You're all sinners. Happy Mother's Day. Almost everybody in our world believes, statistically, that we go to heaven if we are good. In fact, many Christians think that. Call it universalists. Love wins. And love does win, but not how they think it does. God says we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Almost every convict in prison thinks that they deserve a second chance, don't they? Every one of us who have ever sinned think that we deserve a second chance. We all, we all argue that our good works outweigh our bad works. But if I stole something, I don't care how many good things that I do, whoever I stole from is going to say, no, you got to pay for it. You got to do something because you did that one bad thing. There are consequences for that action. So God says, we all fall short of God's standard because what's God's standard? Jesus tells us that you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect. Never one sin. No one is good. In fact, what is death? The Bible tells us what death is. It says death is wages. What are wages? Wages are, are payment. You will die because the payment that your sins deserve is death. If, if you work, what do you get? You get a paycheck. That's your wages. If you sin, what do you get? You get death. That's your wages. That's the result. The wages of sin is death. So where do we get this idea that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell? If that's how we decide, then no one goes to heaven. God is all alone up there. Where do we get this idea? It's not in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. According to the Bible, goodness won't get anybody into heaven. It's not in the Old Testament. That's not the Old Covenant. And it's not in the New Testament. That's not the New Covenant. 
In fact, the Old Testament doesn't even really talk about heaven at all. There's a bunch of laws in the Old Testament, but God never said that obeying those laws will get you to heaven. So how do we get there? Let's finish that Romans verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But, oh, we were all waiting for the but. Because so far we've had nothing but bad news. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a gift. Today I'm going to give my wife a Mother's Day gift from my sons. I don't know, that's just how it works when you have little kids. And it is, go, it, I got her some like chocolate strawberry things. She's downstairs, she doesn't know. And when I show her this gift, or when Lincoln shows her this gift, she's going to love it. So what's she going to do? She's going to take it and be excited. That's how gifts work, if it's a good gift. And this is what the Bible says about the gospel. This is, what, this is how you get into heaven. It is a gift. But what is required for my wife to have this gift in her possession? She has to accept it. She has to receive it. The gospel message that you often hear people say is that if you ask God to come into your heart, he will forgive you. Which there's truth in that. But it doesn't really tell the whole story. It kind of misses the main point of the gospel message. So today I'd like to give you the main point. In fact, I'm going to tell it to you like they tell it to the kids down in New Life Kids. In fact, if you ask any kid that's come to New Life Kids for any significant period of time, ask them the ABCs and they'll just be able to rattle it off to you. So today, pull out that card you were handed when you came in today. We're going to go through the ABCs. How do I get into heaven? Here's the ABCs. Step one, A, admit. This is what we've been talking about so far. Admit that you've done wrong and ask God to forgive you. Admit it. You're not good. You can't be good. Step two, B, believe. And it's not just believe that there is a God. It's a specific belief. It is a belief that Jesus is God and Jesus died to save me from my sins. That's what the belief is. Believe and trust that you can be forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then, and then step Choose to spend, this is what we call sanctification. Choose to spend your whole life following God. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect now. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. It just means you're choosing to surrender to God, to make him Lord. And I didn't write this, these ABCs. I don't know where Darcy got them from, but she's been teaching them to our kids. I think it's brilliant. I think it's an awesome way for us to be able to repeat and share the gospel story, the whole story. In other words, the gospel starts with bad news. It's good news that starts with bad news. Because if you don't get the bad news in there, if people don't recognize that, th that they need the good news, then they won't even hear it. You got to start with the bad news so that when you tell them the good news, they're interested. What's the bad news? You're not good. 
You are a sinner. You are going to hell. That's the point. And if I hear the bad news, now all of a sudden I have some interest in knowing the good news. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He suffered for our sins. If you get a speeding ticket and you show up at court and the judge tells you you're fine and how much you have to pay and all of a sudden the judge says, but what you don't know is that your Uncle Jimmy, while you were waiting in line, went out and paid your ticket for you. And so now you can go free. That's the gospel message. It is legal for somebody else to pay for your crime in some cases. Jesus says, in this case, in this heaven or hell conversation, I can pay for your sins. I can do it on your behalf. You deserve to die, but Jesus died for you. He never sinned. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And because he was perfect, because he never sinned, when he died and resurrected, it wasn't just for your sins that you've committed in the past. It was for your sins that you've committed in the past and every sin you will ever commit. In fact, it was for every sin that everyone will ever commit, even those who do not receive his free gift of grace. He was perfect, so he could pay the price you couldn't pay. The good news is not that you're good. The good news is that God is good. He's good enough to do what you could never do. Revelation 5.5 5 says, The lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory. Jesus, when he's up on the cross, the last thing he says before he dies is, It is finished. That's a weird last thing to say, right? Why does he say it? Because he's up there, not by accident. He's up there because he had a plan. All along, this was the purpose. This is how the victory was won. And now Jesus says, as he's hanging on the cross, it is finished. The debt has been paid. The other day, uh, my son Titus was listening to a song that talked about the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he loves animals, so when he heard lion in the song, he perks up. He said, Dad, what does it mean that Jesus was the lion of Judah? And he said, great question. I said, Jesus was a descendant of a guy named Judah, kind of like you're a descendant of your grandpa, and Jesus was an Israelite, and that means he was... And I started explaining, and he's staring at me, and then I finish, and I just, he just, I'm just assuming, he's soaking it all up, like I am just spitting fire here, and he is, this is changing his life forever. And I get done, and he's staring at me, he goes, Mom, tigers fight. You heard nothing I said. Just wanted to know about a lion. Anyway, the only sin Jesus ever had was ours. 
And the only righteousness, the only goodness we can ever have is his. It's a gift. When Jesus was on the cross, he felt the pain of every regret, every consequence that you will ever have because of your sins. He carried them. Okay, I want to take this one step further. I want one more shot at this and then we'll be done. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church and he says this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. In other words, stop pretending like you think you're good. Stop pretending like good people will get to go to heaven. Christianity is the only religion in the world that does not teach that good people go to heaven. That's what every other theory is. Christianity is unique. And it says no one is good, and and unless you are good, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, the gospel starts with bad news, but then he continues. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul just lumped together male prostitutes and greedy people. In other words, all of you, everyone is disqualified from heaven. Revelations gives a list very similar to this, but it it adds lying to the mix. Anybody in here ever lied? A room full of liars. We are all on the list. We're all disqualified. Some of you did not raise your hand, so a bunch of liars. (laughs) Some of you were once like that. But, this is important how this is worded but you were cleansed. If I'm the one doing the cleansing of myself, this is not how I word this sentence. If I'm the one doing the cleansing, then I say, but I cleansed myself. But I didn't cleanse myself. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You can't make yourself holy. And you can't keep yourself holy. Only God can do that. After he makes you holy, then you can start doing, this is the C, the ABC. After he makes you holy, then you have some ability to begin to follow him and to become the person that you were created to be. But without A and B, you can't even do C. With A and B, he gives you the ability to choose to follow him. On your own, you can't do it. Let me put it this way. You're a glove. This is a nice glove. This is a work glove. It's got some leather, nice Velcro. It says Army, Army National Guard on it. It is camo, so you could easily lose this glove, so you got to be careful. <laughs> but let's say I look at this glove and I see its purpose. What's its purpose? It's to do work. 
Like it was, it's a work glove. It was created to do some work. So I look at this glove that was created to do work and I say, glove, I need to pick up that mug. So do your job, do some work and pick up that mug. Go for it. Why isn't the glove picking up the mug? What if, okay, I know what the glove needs. The glove needs a little bit of encouragement, okay? So let's cheer on the glove. Glove, you can do it. I believe in you. You are smart. You are strong. You are capable. Pick up the mug. Not going to do it. I know what the glove needs. The glove needs some discipling. It needs some teaching. I'm going to teach the glove. Glove, did you know that this is a mug moments mug? And if you go to the QR code every morning, then you can read the Bible. This will help you out in life. Now that you know that, pick up the mug. It's not working. I know what the glove needs. The glove needs some fellowship. Maybe if I get some other gloves and I bring some fellowship into the life of the glove, then it can pick up the mug. Fellowship, work. People, help them out here. Come on. No, it's not, that's not going to work. I know, this is what some churches tell us, I know, let's baptize it. This glove is a little bit dirty, and it's kind of obvious, done a lot of things in its life and it needs to be washed clean in order to make this clean capable of being rescued of of being alive it needs to be baptized let's baptize the glove this is all i got glove this is my last option here either you pick up that mug or i look like a fool pick up the glove mug you can do it glove it does nothing. Why? Because we sinned, there is no life in us. We are dead. We can't be good. It's too late. That ship has sailed. We're dead. Even though the glove was designed to be a work glove, it can't do work until it is alive. It can't do work until life fills the glove. We are incapable of following God's instruction in our own strength. We need God in us so that we can follow him, so that we can become the people that he created to be, so that we can have life in us. Without him in us, there is no life. There is no goodness. We are incapable. We have no ability to be good, to do good, to become the people he created us to be. If I want this mug to be lifted up, I need life in the glove. This is you. Without Christ in you, you are dead. You can't be good. You can't do good. You can't try harder. You're already dead. But his death on the cross and his resurrection purchases for you eternal life as a gift. And he will put his life into you. He will put his righteousness, his grace, his love, his mercy into you. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit that fills us, the spirit of our God. 
So the question is, how do I call on his name? And the answer is, admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus died to rescue you from your sins. And choose to follow him. Do it today. If you have not, please do not put it off. We don't know what's happening tonight. We don't know how long your future on this earth is. Don't wait. Please don't wait. You say, Mike, are you begging? I am absolutely begging you. If anybody loves somebody, then they would not allow them to go to hell without hearing the gospel message, without hearing that they're destined for hell without the life of Christ. I love you enough to tell you, do it today. Don't put it off. If you're ready today, there's a card in the seat in front of you that says, I've decided. Grab that card. Let us know that you're choosing today to follow Jesus. Don't put it off. If you're watching online and you'd like to do it, you can go to this website, yes.church307.com. There's a video on there and a bunch of information about what it looks like to follow Christ. There's a, there's a form that you can fill out on that website. Do, do it right now. Don't put it off. Don't wait. And then for everybody else who is listening to me, that, that card that you gave or you were given when you came in today should be a help for you. And you can put your own words to it. This is not some magical formula of words. If you put the words together in the right order, then boom, you're in the holy club. No, it's just, it's just a help to help you have a conversation. It's a story. The gospel is a story that starts with bad news, then it points people to Jesus and an invitation to eternity in heaven. It's a story. And you can tell the story. In fact... When you were saved, you were given a new mission in life. We call it the Great Commission. Co-mission, together. We're doing it together. And that mission is to tell others the good news, to tell others the gospel message. So you can do that by grabbing that card and handing it to somebody you care about and want to make sure they're in heaven. You can take a picture of it and post it on social media. You can memorize it and teach it to your kids. You can memorize it and tell it to your friends at, at, at work. But we got to get it straight. We got we to get the story right. And we've got to start sharing it. So start today. Don't wait till you have courage because you're not going to have it. Don't wait till you have some inspiration because you're not going to get it. Unless you just start. Evangelize today. So if you're ready to take a next step, there are going to be people up here after the service who'd love to pray with you. Uh, you, can, you can reach out to us at any time if you want to have a deeper conversation, a longer conversation about what it looks like. If, if part of the reason why you're on the fence is because you've got some questions, we would love to have a conversation. We'd love to chat with you about what those next steps look like. But it starts with a prayer. And a prayer is a conversation with God. It sounds something like this. God, I admit that I'm not good. God, I believe that you are good and that you died so that I could be good. And God, I choose to follow you. And that's the conversation. That's the prayer. God, today I pray that if there's anybody today who's nervous about taking that step, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would give them courage. 
And even if they don't want to, that you will show them the way. God, for anybody here today who's nervous about sharing with somebody they love your gospel message, I pray that you would show them that it is an act of love. God, for those of us who use excuses like I'm an introvert or I don't know what to say, God, I pray that you would put us in a place where we are prepared to serve your great commission and do what you called us to do. We love you and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.